0: This evening's reading is from Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 1 through to verse 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epiphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge (coughs) of God, being strengthened with all the power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of God.
1: Good evening friends, Good evening. I think uh, most of you know who I am <clears throat> but if there's anyone who doesn't, I'm Angus <laughs> and it's my privilege this evening to continue with this series, Excited About God I must say that I was excited <clears throat> when I saw the title initially because <laughs> my childhood I wasn't really allowed to get excited about God (laughs) too much over excitement was not a good thing Um, so last week we were privileged to hear from our brother Mike who shared his thoughts as a physicist and what excited him about God and the, the amazing things that God speaks to us about as we look into the heavens. And uh, as we are now in 2022, we have equipment which enables us to look much deeper into the heavens. So I want to share with you, not as a physicist, because that was certainly not my subject at school, but uh, as someone who spent their life Uh, Teaching languages and communication And I want to speak about the God who communicates And we are told and we read It's verified in scripture that God speaks to us Not only through his word But through his world And uh, uh, last week I think it was Ken who quoted this well-known verse in Romans chapter 1 which uh, reminds us of that fact that which is known about God is evident to men for God made it evident to them for since the creation of the world his invisible attributes his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through that which has been made so that they, so that we are without excuse and so I want to start this evening with three short snapshots of things that have excited me as I have discovered these about God's creation and the first one we have here a giraffe and a tree and it's the tree that I really want to share with you a little (laughs) thought about not the giraffe (laughs) this tree is called an acacia tree and I'm sure Abby's seen, no they are spread right across uh, central Africa across the plains of Africa Kenya, Tanzania and all these countries and they're a delicacy to the roaming giraffes as you can see in this picture now the giraffe likes the acacia tree but the acacia tree does not like the giraffe and God has implanted uh, amazing things into this tree and so when a giraffe comes along and starts munching on the leaves of the tree the acacia tree immediately takes action And it produces a toxin which it then spreads out into its leaves, making the leaves no longer palatable to the giraffe. Now that in itself is amazing. But the acacia tree is able to do something else. Because round about this acacia tree will be a whole clump of acacia trees. And as soon as this tree is attacked by the giraffe it not only creates this toxin but it communicates with all the other acacia trees round about it I don't know whether it's like sending a text message I suppose I'm not quite sure how it does this but it informs all the other acacia trees that there are giraffes in the neighbourhood And all the other uh, acacia trees round about immediately take action and start to produce this toxin. So when this giraffe here discovers that the leaves of this particular tree are no longer to its taste, it wanders off to the next tree to discover that that has already taken action. Now that excites me when I think of a god who can do that. Who can ab- enable trees to communicate with each other? Now, the second little snapshot involves a slightly smaller ins- uh, creature. This is a particular kind of wasp. It's called a sphex, but it's also known as a digger wasp. And it's also a solitary wasp, that is, the wasp that we know and love all communicate together in a big bike as it's called, and live together, this is a solitary wasp. And when it comes to the point where this wasp wants to lay its eggs, it digs a little burrow in the ground, that's why it's called a digger wasp, and creates a little nest under the ground. And before it lays its eggs, it goes out and starts hunting. And it's hunting for crickets, which are considerably bigger than the wasp now it could kill the cricket drag it into this little burrow and leave it but that would mean that when it laid its eggs and when the eggs hatched out the cricket would have decayed and rotted so it does something infinitely more amazing it's been given the information to know exactly the microscopic spot on the cricket that it can inject and thereby destroy the cricket's nervous system it paralyses it and it takes this cricket which is still fully alive but paralysed and it drags it into the nest and it lays it and a few others like it next to its eggs so that when those eggs hatch out they have this living cricket lying beside them on which they can feast before they leave the nest. Now, uh, there was a great French entomologist who's one of my all-time heroes, a man called uh, Jean-Henri Fabre, and he researched this for years. And he tried experiments to inject crickets And he failed almost totally to get the exact microscopic spot that was required. And God has planted in this wasp that information to enable it to perfectly paralyze the cricket and take it to its nest. Final little snapshot involves a cuckoo. Now, I had the privilege... In uh, May, early May of this year, I was walking around Cameron Reservoir. And I not only heard, but was able to watch, observe a, cr- a cuckoo. They're very elusive birds, they're not easy to see, but it was a highlight of my week watching this cuckoo. Now, we know all about cuckoos, and some of us, I'm sure, more than others. But the cuckoo is the only bird in Europe which is a, a, a brood... Uh, what's the word? It, it, it doesn't lay its eggs in its own nest. It goes to the nests of other birds, little, much smaller birds than it. The meadow pipit's a good example. And it lays an egg in the nest of the meadow pipit it does this in early May and then of course the adult cuckoo having done that has no more work to do. It hasn't to sit on its egg it hasn't to feed the bird until it is ready to fly away and so the male cuckoo and the female cuckoo adults just take off back down to central Africa at the end of May (laughs) beginning of June. They have no more uh, anything to do with their young. And they've not just laid one egg, they've maybe laid four or five in four or five different nests. And so the young bird is born, and here's a meadow pipit trying to, or a warbler perhaps, trying to feed this baby cuckoo. And you can see the difference in the size. And this poor little bird faithfully feeds this cuckoo until it's ready to fly. You may wonder what's happened to its own little uh, birds, but they've all been thrown out of the nest by the young cuckoo. And so this young cuckoo gets to the point where it can fly, possibly mid-June. And it builds up its strength through the month of June and well into July. And then it takes off. Now, this bird has been born in Scotland it's been mothered by let's say a meadow pipit it's never met its real mother or father for that matter and it takes off and it flies to central africa not only does it fly to central africa but it flies almost to the exact point and place where its brood parent where its parents Uh, were they were present and so it's often been discovered that the young cuckoo is flying around in an area of central africa right alongside the parents that it has never ever met or seen now those are just three amazing examples that excite me about our creator god and i could multiply that a thousand times And as we delve into nature and creation, we can but bow in the presence of a God who is able not only to create the universe that we saw last week, but to put information like that into its creation. Well let's move on now because God does not only speak to us through his world but he speaks to us through his word and he excites us through his word and uh, we're told uh, the writer to the Hebrews tells us God's word is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword And so as we look at the living word that we have here, all of it can excite us from time to time as the Holy Spirit highlights a piece of scripture. And recently the Lord has highlighted a piece of scripture to me that's got me excited and I want to share that with you tonight. But let's think for a moment about God's word. If we think about it, Here is a book that I can hold in my hand. It actually consists of 66 books. It's written by around 40 different authors. It's written over a period of about 1,400 years. And yet, as we read this book, we see an amazing unity, an amazing harmony And we see threads which run from beginning to end of this book. And it's two of these threads that I want to share with you tonight. Because uh, they have spoken to me in particular recently. And the second more than the first. But I need to share the first one with you in order to understand the second. And so the first thread that I want to talk about is the thread of belief. In our translation, it sometimes is used, the word belief is used, sometimes the word faith is used. And uh, it occurs 103 times in the Old Testament, 218 times in the New Testament And 85 times alone in John's Gospel. And the writer of the Hebrews tells us that without faith, without belief, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him out. So, it's impossible to please God without belief. And let's look at the first time this word ever appears in Scripture. We're told in chapter 15 of Genesis that Abraham believed believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, that's a very significant statement. You know, Abraham was, this was a time when there were no Ten Commandments that we've looked at recently. There was no circumcision. Abraham believed the Lord and it was counted as righteousness. Interestingly, in the Old Testament, there is only one similar reference to the one that we have there. And here it is. In the book of Jonah, we know the story of Jonah. When Jonah eventually got round to preaching to the people of Nineveh, we're told that the people of Nineveh believed God. And we know the result. That God did not at that time pass his judgment on them. And so we've got this concept of belief in God leading to righteousness. And uh, as we come to the New Testament, this whole thread of belief becomes much stronger and it becomes much more focused. And so John writes at the end of his gospel these words. These things have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. Now, what does it mean to believe in Christ? Well, it's like uh, what we sang of earlier there. I believe in Jesus I believe he is the son of God. I believe that he died and rose again. I believe that he paid for my sin. That's what it means to believe. And so in the New Testament, the focus of this thread of belief is on Jesus, the son of God, his work of redemption, through the cross, and God the Father's acceptance of that work by raising him from the dead. That's what it means to believe. And we have a lovely example of that in the book of Acts. We have the story of the Philippian jailer and we've got Paul and Silas who are locked up in prison in chains in the middle of the night And they're praying and praising God. And suddenly there's an earthquake and their chains fall off and the doors and the gates of the prison are opened. And the Philippine jailer comes in fear and trembling and he says to Paul, what must I do to be saved? You know, I believe that... uh, he was more interested in his physical salvation than in his spiritual salvation. At that point, but what does Paul say to him? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And the passage, Luke's comment doesn't just stop there. It says, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him <coughs> and to all the others in his house. So they led him to a place of belief in Jesus. The belief in all that he had done for them. And so over the centuries, this thread of belief is as strong now as it ever was. It's as essential as it ever was and down through the years many bits and pieces were added on until we come to the time of the Reformation and Luther discovers the truth of sola fide faith alone in the passage that we read in Colossians is this is the point where I want to just refer to the last verse that David read. It's interesting that Emily also read this verse to us. And I'll read it to you. It's one of my favourite verses in Colossians in verse 14. It was God's good pleasure for all the fullness of, uh, to dwell in him and through him. To reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of a... Sorry, that's not the verse I'm looking for, although that's a very important one. (laughs) We'll come, uh, let's go, yes. Verse 13, for he rescued us from the domain or the kingdom of darkness and he has transferred us to the kingdom of the son of his love. For he has rescued us, he has rescued us, God in his grace and infinite mercy has rescued us and he has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the son of his life. And I want to suggest to you tonight that belief in Jesus is the bridge That takes us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of His love. So, if you're here tonight and you have never made that step of believing in Jesus and all that He has done for you, then I urge you to do that tonight and you cross that bridge. The bridge of belief into a new kingdom. Into the kingdom of the son of his love. What an amazing step. And there are two things that come with belief. We've got belief. And we get peace. Scripture says that he has made peace by the blood of the cross. Now I want to tell you tonight that peace is not a feeling. You know, many times we walk along a beach or whatever and we get a sense of peace. That's just a human feeling. This peace is not a feeling. This peace is a fact. And it's a fact which has nothing to do with us. It's a fact because he, our Lord Jesus, made peace on the cross. He made peace with a holy God, his Father. And there is peace in heaven because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And belief gives us peace. Scripture says, I Jesus says when he talks in John's gospel about his peace, he says, I do not give as you give. This gift is eternal. Peace. And with peace comes justification. Now, justification is a big word for some of us. But it just means. Being made just. Someone said it's like just as if I'd never sinned. Justification. Made righteous. You remember that very first reference to belief? Paul, uh, Abraham believed in the Lord and it was counted as righteousness. And so as we come to a place of belief in Jesus, we receive his peace, which passes all understanding. And we are justified. We are made righteous in the eyes of a holy God. Now, at the... Risk of being accused of heresy. I want to suggest and bear with me until you hear what it is. I want to suggest there is something more. Now picture that bridge. We've crossed that bridge and we're in the kingdom of the son of his love. And this came to me really Uh, as we went through the last series on uh, the Ten Commandments. And it was a verse that was referred to on a number of occasions. A verse in Deuteronomy that we call the Shema. And here it is. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with All your heart, with all your soul, and with all your understanding or strength. The more I thought about that verse, the more I felt yes, God wants believers. But there's more. God wants believers who become lovers. Just think for a moment of Jesus uh, risen from the dead and he meets at the end of John's Gospel with Simon Peter. What does he say to Simon Peter? He doesn't say, Peter, do you believe now the words that John the Baptist told me, told you, that I am the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world? Peter, do you believe that on that cross I bore your sins and carried your iniquities? Peter, do you believe that I'm going to rise to heaven and be with my father and I'm going to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords? No. What does he say to Peter? Do you love me? And I believe tonight he's saying to every one of us, Yes, you believe. He knew that Peter believed those things. He said, do you love me? I want to look at three aspects of uh, this verse here and what Jesus added to it in Matthew 22 when he was asked what was the greatest commandment. Jesus quoted that commandment. And then he said, and you shall love your neighbour, as yourself. So what does it mean? Let's think of the verse again. Uh, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. If you take different translations of the original, you'll find different words being used there. And I think uh, the... Real theologians among us would agree that these words are not adequate to translate the meaning of what is contained here. And in very simple terms, I believe it means you shall love the Lord your God with everything that you are and everything that you have. Okay? Everything we are and everything we have. And so the Lord is saying, I want your love. I want everything that you have to offer me. And the second thing he's saying, and he says, The Lord your God, the Lord is one. And so we are quiet, we're called to love him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I remember many years ago preaching in a church of Scotland uh, and I was preaching on that verse, the Father himself loves you. And the reaction I got from that congregation of real God-fearing believers was quite amazing. So many of them came up and said, we never understood that the Father loved us. He's the judge of all. And they had this picture of God, a severe judge. And then there was gentle Jesus, meek and mild. And He was interceding for them. And then, somewhere there was a Holy Spirit. (laughs) Jesus, God is saying here in this verse, "I want your love. Love me as your Father in heaven. Love me as the Son." Who loves you? Love me as the Holy Spirit. He wants all of our love. And finally and thirdly, he wants us to love our neighbours and one another. This is perhaps the biggest challenge that we have. And I think we've seen that recently. This is my commandment, Jesus says, that you love One another, even as I have loved you. How do we do that? What is this love? Well, it's not human love. And we read in Romans chapter 5 the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We cannot expect to love one another with a human love. Some of us are uh, lovable, some of us are not. Uh, We need the intervention of the Holy Spirit, not only to love one another, but to love the Lord as he desires us to. And so I was excited by the challenge of that verse. Yes, God is looking for believers. Our mission here is to preach that people might come to faith. They might come to believe in Jesus. That he is the son of God, that he died on the cross and he rose again. But God is ultimately looking for lovers. What's the state of our love for him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come and we bow in your presence because you're a mighty God. You are the one who spoke and the very heavens were made. And Lord, in an amazing way, in this universe, you're looking down on us and you're longing for our love. And we ask you, by your Holy Spirit, to pour out your love into our hearts that we might love you more. And we ask you this for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen.